Okay, it's Exodus 20, focus scripture. It's going to be 1, 2, and 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for <clears throat> the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we count it a privilege uh, to come together for the sake of your name, uh, to lift up your name and exalt your name. Father, we uh, confess that we have fallen short of that probably even now. Um, and so, God, we come to you dependent on your grace, dependent on your mercy, that you would bring us into your presence and Accept our praise, though it falls so far, far short of what you deserve. God, we thank you that you judge us uh, based on the perfection of your Son, Jesus Christ, and not based on our merits. And God, thank you for the chance to hear your word, to hear your name, to hear your glory, and lift your praises up day by day. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I, uh, I told some of you last Sunday that my brother and his wife, they had their baby uh, last Saturday night, 11.58 p.m., I think, on the 5th. And uh, Saturday, as, as they were in labor, I was keeping up. My mom was kind of the one keeping me up to date, so I was texting back and forth, keeping up to date how they were doing. And, and so uh, I was getting late. I was going to bed Saturday night, and so I, I told her, hey, I said, hey, don't, don't worry about waking me up. If, if you hear something in the middle of the night, text me. I'd rather know. Like, just, just let me know how things are going, and uh, it probably won't wake me up anyway, and I'll just see it when I wake up. And so sure enough, early, early last Sunday morning when I woke up, I had a message from my mom, and, uh, and it was especially important because we didn't know the gender. They hadn't told us, uh, my brother and his wife didn't find out the gender, and they hadn't told us any of the names. And so uh, the message I got was, it's a girl. And I was like, ah, oh, it's so exciting. You know, baby's been born. You know, it's really cool. Uh, and so, you know, it's right when I get out of bed, and so I'm you know, excited. But then the very next message says, Luge, L-U-G-E. And I was like, well, the firstborn child uh, has an L name, Liesel, and we, really, you know, we love Liesel. That's, it's been so great, such a creative name. But I was like, Luge, that one, <clears throat> you know, that one's going to take me a little bit uh, to, uh, to kind of get used to. You know, I'm foggy-brained, and so I'm like, okay, so I, I'm, I mean, I'm opening my phone, and I've got, a, I've got a picture from my brother, too, so I find that one. And it's got a message in it, and it had a different name. So I was really confused. And so I went back to my mom's message. I looked up, and she and I had been texting about, yes, about, about Andrew and MK you know, having their baby. But we also were texting about the Olympics. And, uh, and so she told me she was watching Luge. That made a lot more sense. And so my brother's message uh, you know, told us rightly uh, that the, their daughter's name is Everly Ruth Long. And that's a, that's a beautiful name. Uh, and they got that from Psalm 34.1. One translation says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall ever be in my mouth. And I thought that was just so, so pretty. It's especially beautiful when I thought, you know, her, the other option was luge, you know. So <laughs> Everly Ruth is her name, Everly Ruth. And, and names for, for all, for our kids, for everything. We, names are important to us, aren't they? Na names 
names matter. And uh, you feel that pressure maybe as a parent, but even just going through life with your name and, uh, you know, if you get married and change your name, whatever, your, your name matters. It, it matters to you. It matters to, to, to kind of your life and your daily, your daily routines and all that you do uh, is affected and you are influenced by your name. We might name a child after a family member or a, a famous person or a, a Bible name or just because we like the, name, the way it sounds and we find it interesting or, or some you know, literary character or whatever else it may be, we, we come up with a, a name and we, we give this to a child uh, and we put thought into that because it, it matters. It matters what the child's name is. And, and it matters because um, beyond, beyond just you know, why we chose it or the, the you know, Irish root or Native American meaning or something, this, this name comes to represent who a person is. It, it comes to represent... Who, who they are, and it represents who we are. A name is more than just, you know, some black ink scribbled on a page or, or a couple sounds that we've strung together that we listen to. It, it represents way more than just those things. That's true for our name, and it's true for God's name too, isn't it? God's name matters, and it matters so much that God was willing to put, He desired to put one of His top ten commands was about how we use His name. We've been taking one commandment at a time each of these Sunday mornings. And so today we, today we come to the third commandment, which is, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, if you've ever thought about that commandment or considered it or read that, you, you've probably thought, Oh, okay, so God doesn't want me, when I get frustrated or when I hit my thumb you know, with a, a hammer, not to say, you know, GD, or, or if we're surprised by something, maybe we should come up with a, a phrase other than, you know, OMG. You know, we should say something other than that. And that's absolutely true. You should avoid those things. Uh, but as we've been going through the Ten Commandments, we, we've seen there's, there's more than maybe just the surface level to each of these commands. There's, there's more going on here than just kind of a, a simple reading of each of these commandments. Not that we're adding meaning to this. We're just saying, hey, when we take this, this one command and then look at it in the picture of all of Scripture what was God's intention? Why, why did God give us this command? As we've been looking at these, we've noticed there's more to them. And part of it has to do with the context of where, where, this, where these commandments come. We, we take the Ten Commandments, we think of them on, on a stone or on a wall or in a courthouse or something, just kind of ten statements, picture that way, and, that, and that's fine. But remember, these are given at a very specific time in Israel's history. They're given to a specific group of people, and the, the timing was very important. It was so important that God started His Ten Commandments with a reminder about the timing. That's why I got Craig to read from the beginning, the very beginning, the first verse, which says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He reminds them, He's giving this command not in order that they would be saved, but because God has already saved them. Many people approach the Ten Commandments as, hey, I've, and I'm, I might say this all ten weeks, so just, just keep remembering it. Many people approach the Ten Commandments as, hey, if I keep 60%, if it says 6 or 7 out of 10, like I'm passing and God likes me. My favor, God's view of me, is on how many of these I can check off and say that I have kept. But that's not how the Ten Commandments were given. The Ten Commandments were never meant, even in the Old Testament. People think the Old Testament, oh, it's rules, New Testament, grace. No, it's grace back then too. God saved them. He saved them first. And then He gave them the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments were never meant to earn our salvation. They were always meant, back then and still today, for a people who have been saved by the grace of God to then walk in relationship with God. Each of these commandments, 
tells us, yes, something we're supposed to do, but they first tell us something about who God is. If we're going to walk in relationship with Him, the God who has saved us and brought us out of our sin, just like He brought Israel out of the captivity, captivity of Egypt, He brought us out of sin by sending His Son to die for us, now we're invited to walk with Him. What does it look like to be in relationship with God, to be the people of God, and to listen to Him and follow the God who is? Each of these commands is a gift of grace. It's law. It's a rule. It's something we should obey but it is a law that is given to us as grace, as an opportunity to know God for who He truly is. If we want to know the one true God of the universe, then it's important for us to understand why He would give us these commands. Why does He elevate? I mean, He's got to pick. He's just he limited Himself to ten. He's not saying all the ten. And one of those is about how we use the name of God. There must be more here than just cleaning up some sacrilegious you know, profanity that we say when we're mad. There's got to be more to that if it's making God's Ten Commandments. To, to get to God's heart, to His intention here, I think it's important to, before we even get to the, the obedience part, to start with the name. Well, what's going on with that? Well, when God uses His name, when He displays His name for us in the Bible, it's more than just, just a few syllables or, or a, uh, some ink on a page. It's about His character. God's name communicates His character. His character. It's, a, it's, about his, it's about who He is. It's about his, his nature, His essence, His character. His name communicates uh, His character in a far greater way than our name does. Because He had, being God and His infinite wisdom, He had an incredibly powerful way of telling us what His name is. It gets used all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, but the place where we find out about His name comes up in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is keeping... Uh, his father-in-law's sheep on the side of a mountain, and something catches his eye. There's a bush that's on fire, but what's surprising about this fiery bush is that the bush is not being consumed. So Moses walks over, and God himself speaks to Moses from within the bush and says, this is holy ground. Take off your sandals. He's, he's meeting God in a fire. He tells, God tells Moses he's going to go, and God's going to use Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses, and all his, his stuttering and questioning, he says, okay, uh, I'll do it. But uh, uh, when, I, when they ask, who sent me? Because, you know, in Egypt, they had all these gods. Like, which, which god? God says, let's be clear. He says, uh, they, so he asks for his name, and he says, I am. I am who I am. How about that for a name? I am. When, when we uh, come across the name Lord, the, the, the Lord in the, in the Old Testament with kind of small capital letters. It kind of looks a little funny if you pay attention to that. Uh, that is where our English translations take this divine name of God and try to point, to, point out to you, hey, this is a unique way that God is described. And it comes from the, the Hebrew verb, I am, and we, we sometimes describe it, we, the, the word we use for that is Yahweh. That's a close Hebrew connection to the way the word is given there in the original. So God said, I am. And that name, Lord, shows up over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. He wanted us to know His name. And His name is I am. Not I was or I will be. I am. Meaning God always has been and always will be. His name communicates so much of who He is and His nature and His essence and His character. God, so many times, you know, kids will at some point come up with, hey, where, where did God come from? Or, or who, who created God? Or where did, what was the beginning of God? Or something along those lines. Where did God come from? And, and our reply is, 
No one made God. He is. There was never a time before God or after God. God always has been. God, we can't get our, our minds around that any more than our kids can sometimes, but God is infinite. You know, our, our church is Infinity Church. We got that from uh, Ephesians 3.20, which tells us that God can do infinitely more than all we ask or imagine. And the reason that's true, the reason God can do infinitely more is that He Himself is infinite. He has no beginning and no end. He has all power. He has been there from the beginning and will always be. He is eternal. It also means that God is the absolute reality. There, there is nothing that is, that is making God be God. God is God Himself. He is fully independent of all things. Everything else in the universe is dependent on God. God Himself is dependent on nothing. He is who He is. He is the standard for truth. He is the standard of justice. He is the standard of beauty and righteousness and holiness. There's nothing greater than God. There's nothing more valuable than God. He is. He is the great I Am. He's Yahweh. And He is Lord. He is the Lord our God. That is barely scratching the surface of God's character, but I hope you can, you can begin to see how when God communicates His name that way, I Am, that it's important. It's not, it's not just, you know, hey, I'm calling Him you know, Joseph or something. He, this name matters. It has a meaning and it communicates his character. E even though our, our names don't, don't, don't even begin to uh, touch what God's name does, we, we do have this sense that there is more to a name than just uh, some letters or sounds, right? Like for, take for instance, you, you pick a name of somebody you love, somebody you care a lot about, and just think of that name in your mind. Maybe it's a spouse or a child or a parent or, or, or somebody else, a best friend or somebody. And, and when you think of that name, what comes to mind? Okay, now after you think about the fact that you just had a fight with them about two minutes ago or five minutes before you came here, then think on them a little bit longer. And what comes to mind when you think about that name? There's probably something about their character, about who they are, about shared experiences. You think about uh, things you've done together and, and ways you've had uh, you know, bonds and relationships and, and, and good times and bad times and the thick and the thin. If, if this is somebody you truly care about and somebody speaks their name to you, your mind is, is filled with those memories, those thoughts. It's more than just, more than just a word. It's, it's who they are that fills your mind. God's name, to a far greater degree, communicates His character, communicates His worth, it communicates who he is. If someone you're thinking, if you're thinking of that, that person that you love and you're thinking about the, the good things in your relationship, if somebody in that moment walked up to you and, and said something very offensive about that person, if they drug their name through the mud in a way that was not true, a, a way that is not right, not, not, not true of who they are, you would rightly be offended. If somebody is mistreating the name of the person that you love in a way that's unholy, wrong, you would be right to defend their name and to say, no, that's not, that's not who that person is. So it is with God's name. God is perfect. You, you literally can't say a true negative thing about God. We may question God. We may have things that we don't understand about God, but God is perfectly holy and righteous. No negative evil thing is ever true of God's name. If somebody has something negative to say about God, it, it isn't true. And we are right to be offended. And God Himself is offended when we are negative about His name. His name communicates His character. So He calls us not to take that name in vain, which is a gift. 
It's a gift to us. He's telling us about His character and His nature. We need to know that our God is good. If we're going to speak rightly and wholly and justly of who God is, it is a gift to us to know that His name could never be drugged through the mud. Never rightly drugged through the mud. It is drugged through the mud, but it should never be drugged through the mud. He is giving you a gift to know Him as He is. Perfect, righteous, all-powerful, all-knowing. He is God. And when He tells us His name is worth honoring, He's given you a gift that you can know Him as He is. This is a gift far greater than backstage passes to your favorite band's concert where you get to go and meet every member of the band. This is a far greater gift than, than, than VIP tickets to, the, to some big game where your team's playing, where you get to go on the field and meet all the athletes and coaches that you look up to, right? This is an opportunity. These commands are a gift to know God as He is. He has a name that is worth revering and honoring. It is the name above all names. And He's called us, He's invited us to not misuse it, to not take it in vain. The NIV says not to misuse His name. And that's a good, a good interpretation of this phrase, in vain. We don't, we don't use that very often, probably except for talking about this command. But it's a, a phrase that does show up a handful of times in the Bible, so we understand what it's, what it's communicating. It means uh, to, to be empty, meaningless, void, useless, to no avail, or futile. So there's some metaphorical uses in Jeremiah where he says, In vain I have struck our children and they took no correction. And we understand what that means. You, there, were, there was punishment and yet it didn't do any good. People didn't actually, they didn't actually change their actions. And similar, he's talking, he says in Jeremiah 4.20, In vain you beautify yourself, your lovers still despise you. So he's saying even with you know, makeup or dress or whatever else, he's, this person's still rejected. It didn't accomplish what it was going for. When we, when we misuse the name of God, we are not treating it as it is intended to be treated. We're denying the greatness of the glory of who God is. So to understand and to, to, to grasp this name and using it correctly, it's helpful for me to think about the, the positive term, kind of the, the opposite side of the coin from the commandment. If, if taking God, the Lord's name as vain is what we're not supposed to do, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to treat the name of the Lord. Well, if we were to kind of the opposite, the, the, in the positive direction, I'd say this way. Treat God's name with respect and awe. Treat God's name with respect and awe. That's the opposite of, of treating in a way that the name is meaningless and futile, empty to us. We're treating it with respect, that it's worthy of respect. If you read through the Bible, and, and even just the songs we just sang, but the, the, the Bible over and over again elevates and exalts the name of God. Psalm 96 uh, that we read earlier, sing to the Lord, bless His name. Or Psalm 8, uh, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all of the earth. When, when you think of God, when you think of who He is and you, His name, thinking about the great I Am, do you, do you think majestic? Like majestic is, is a view of, of snow-capped mountain ranges where, where every peak is, seems bigger and and more grand, it stretches on for miles and miles and miles. That is, that's majestic. Or majestic is a, is, a, is a beautiful bald eagle or something swooping over the trees and down over the water. This incredible sight of nature where, where God's majesty is on display. Do you, do you think of God's name, just who He is, His character, with that kind of majesty? Or do you think of it as just ho-hum, just boring? Do you consider Him for who He is? When Jesus taught His disciples to pray, He told them, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. This holiness, this 
righteousness, this uniqueness to who God is, that God and God alone is deserving of all our praises. One of the Protestant reformers from 1600, the 1600s wrote about that phrase, hallowed be the name. He said uh, that the way we do that is we, that, that we say the Lord's name captivates us with wonderment for him. When you think about the name of God, his nature and what he's done and who he is, does he captivate you with wonder? Does, does the Lord captivate you with wonder? Or are you just bored with God? Are you captivated by him? If you treat him with wonderment, you are honoring, you are respecting, you are treating his name with awe and reverence. We, we live in a very casual culture, and, and I, I like that for the most part. I like wearing my jeans to church. It's a good thing. I, I don't want to wear a tie today. I don't like ties, right? I, I'm okay with our, our casual culture. I'm okay with a, a come-as-you-are culture. I think that we kind of have swung to a place of saying, I, I'd rather not just put on fancy clothes and a fancy fake you know, whatever thing. I just want to be real. I want to be authentic. And I think there's a, a really good part to that. That is a good thing. However, there, there also is a danger to that mindset. We, we can swing to the point of being casual about everything and never, never really respecting certain things that deserve reverence and awe, certain things that, that have a weight to them, right? I, I had an, an opportunity or responsibility, I guess, more so than opportunity, where uh, I was asked to go, to go to court on behalf of a, a foster child one time, and I was told I was just coming just to sit in the room and just be present. And I was, okay, I can do that, you know. And, uh, and I had, you know, I've only been in court a few times, so I didn't really know what to expect. And so we're, I'm out in the hallway with the DSS caseworker, and we're kind of waiting for our turn, our case number, whatever. And, and there's kind of the hustle and just lots of people moving around. And when it comes our turn, the DSS caseworker kind of ushers me in the, the room, and when I walk in the room, you know, if it's chaos outside, there's just this stillness in the courtroom. I mean, it's like not a pin drops. I mean, everybody's very, very, you know, in their place. And so the, the caseworker whispers to me where I'm supposed to sit. And, you know, I have to go, okay, take my seat. And, and it, all eyes are on the judge. The judge is up front on his, his bench, and he's got some papers up there and a pen. He's making some notes, and nobody's saying a word. Nobody's saying a word. There was just a little moment of like, all right, who gets in? Where you sit? Okay, door shuts. Nobody says a word. Everybody's waiting on the judge. The judge finally does speak, and he addresses one lawyer, and the lawyer stands up, and the lawyer's dressed. She's this lady in a very nice suit, and she dresses up, and she, she says things like, yes, sir, and, and, and your honor, and you're, you know, she's very reverent. And she speaks, the, the judge speaks to the other lawyer. So this goes on for a little while, and, and everything's just very ordered. And I'm kind of just you know, sitting back, thankful that you know, the caseworker told me I didn't have to say anything. I just sit there. But then at some point, the DSS lawyer says, okay, and the foster dad's back here. And he says, oh, really? And the, the, the judge kind of peers over his glasses and he says, Foster Dad. And I, I found myself, I stood up, you know? And I, I found myself, I'm just, I'm just very aware of my hands and just like, and he, he asked me a couple questions and I find myself saying, yes, sir, and your honor. And I was just, I, I, everybody else was, was in this moment of, this is just respectful, right? We, we don't have many moments like that, do we? Our culture doesn't live with that kind of respect and that kind of respecting somebody who, who's got a position. This, this, this bench, this, I don't know what it was, but the, the room, you just knew this is a place of respect. Do we come to God that way? God, God is not your peer. God is not our, my buddy. God is not my pal that I can just kind of joke around with. God, God deserves all reverence, all majesty, all glory. We, we should be far more to be likely to be on our faces than just elbowing him and giving him a hard time about something, right? We, we come to God 
knowing that we, we are sinful people. We are worms compared to His majesty. And we come into His presence with holiness. That's the respect. That is the, the giving Him the honor He so deserves. But the, the part of God that I didn't have for that judge, I, I, I mean, in a way, but not this way. We, I, don't, I, I respect that judge. I don't even remember his name. He doesn't know me. I, I don't love him like family. But when we come to God, there's a difference. It is respectful, but we also love him as our heavenly father. And that's what I mean by awe, this adoration, this affection for God. We come to God and we worship him. We praise him with respect and with awe, adoration, affection for him. We think of God, we think with him of both of those things. We, have, we should see God's name and think reverence, respect, awe, adoration. I was thinking about that, that sense of awe. I thought of, I thought of the, the very first ultrasound I ever saw. When we were, we were in Massachusetts, they did things a little different. The very first ultrasound that we ever saw for our child was uh, that 18 to 20 week like anatomy scan. And so it was the first time I've ever sat there and watched you know, a, a real human baby inside a mother's womb. And I'm, I'm watching our child see her, you know, the limbs and the spine and the nose and the features just you know, blown away by this whole, this whole experience. And and the, the technician had asked us, you know, hey, do you want to find out the gender? We said, yes. And so they, they told us it, it's a girl. And we had come in that day knowing we may find out the gender. And, and we, we, didn't, we hadn't really settled on a boy name, but we had settled on a girl name. Lois was, my, was Amber's grandmother that passed away when Amber was young, the only great-grandmother that my children ha, ha, didn't have the opportunity to meet. And Lois is, is Timothy's grandmother, 2 Timothy 1.5, where Paul tells Timothy, reminds him of the sincere faith that he first saw in his, his grandmother, Lois. So we knew at that moment, we looked at each other and said, that's, that's Lois, that's Lois in there. And I just remember being filled with a sense of the majesty of God, the glory of God, and the, the affection I felt for the Lord and for this girl I can't even see yet. I mean, I could just see you know, her outline on the ultrasound. I mean, just, just filled with joy and adoration and affection. Moments like that, we see this is, this is what, what God created us to be, right? This is how God created us to think about the name of God. Respect, adoration, affection, all put together. I think if you could somehow combine the respect for a judge and the, 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 the awe of witnessing a child in a womb, that somehow there, that, that combination of emotions, that's the reverence, respect, awe for the name of God. And as, as magnificent and majestic as all of his creation is, how much more should we worship the one who created all those things? Treat God's name with respect and awe. It's his name, his essence, his character. When we speak to him, we're speaking to the Lord. So when you, when you take God's name, when you think of him, is that how you think of him? Is, it, is that how you think of the Lord our God? Uh, another aspect of, of the Lord's name is that it's his reputation. Right? When we speak of the Lord, we're not just doing it so that when we do it, we're not the only ones who hear it. Those around us do it. So we are displaying God's name. We're putting His name on display. So when we think about the third commandment, treating His name with respect and awe, you can imagine now, I hope, there's, there's more than just a, a few simple ways that we could break that commandment. If we're not treating God's name with respect and awe, then we're breaking this commandment. So yes, careless Unholy expressions, you know, I, I, I don't want to use Jesus Christ as an expression of frustration. It's a name of worship, not, not of just mindless frustration. I, I, I want to be, I'm not sure I've, I've plenty of times messed this up, but for me, for my house, I, I, don't, I don't want to be people that say, oh my goodness, or, or geez. Like, like, I, don't want to, I want to so love God 
I don't want to get close to it. I don't want to get close to just going down that path. Just change your vocabulary, right? Just do something different. But, but it goes way deeper than that. If we consider the majesty and the holiness of God, then it, it affects all, all the words out of our mouth. Uh, Leviticus 19.12 uh, applies the third commandment. So it says, You shall not swear by my name falsely or so profane the name of the Lord. I am the Lord. So he says, if you make a promise in the Lord's name and then don't keep it, you're breaking the third commandment. You're not honoring the Lord's name. You're profaning it. And then Jesus clarifies and, and expands that to, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 37, he says, Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. He's, he's making the point, whether you say I swear by God or, or anything else like that, God's in, your, your presence, the presence of God is with you. So God is your witness to everything you say. So you don't need to swear anything. Just what you say, let what you say be what you say. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When we don't keep our word, we're not honoring the name of the Lord. Or maybe you take it one step further, maybe even more applicable to even today. In keeping the, if, the, if keeping the third commandment means treating God's name with respect, with reverence and awe, the time we speak God's name the most is in prayer and in song, doesn't it? When you, when you think of God, when you speak God's name as you pray, are you doing it with reverence and awe? Or is there a temptation to just go through the rote motions of just saying prayer words that sound like prayer because that's what I do? Do we just say rote phrases that aren't, aren't really meaningful to us without really considering the majesty of God? Jesus warned the Pharisees about that, about giving long, meaningless prayers for the sake of show. I don't, I don't know many people that pray for show, but I, I have many times in my own. I have prayed and thought, I've been praying for 30 seconds and I don't even know what I said. My mind is elsewhere. Am I, really, am I really beholding the majesty of God in this moment? Or am I just going through the motions of praying mindless words? We just sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless His holy name. When, when you sing a phrase like that, when you sing any of our worship songs, when you sing about God's name, are you considering His majesty? Are you just going through the motions? The, the line about uh, a road marked with suffering, in this, in this, the pain in the offering, do, do you just use words like that? Or are we thinking, God, no, even in the hard times, I, I see you are majestic. You are holy. You are worth worship because you are good. Is that what's going through your mind? Or are you thinking about far lesser things? I, I don't mean that we force affection and we kind of just make ourselves mean it. But if we see God for who He is, that, that majesty, that awe, it flows naturally. Or maybe one of the most conviction, convicting applications to me in this commandment comes in not using God's name as a way to, to, to uh, advance our own agenda. And here's what I mean by that, just by, by illustration. I know probably not many of you are politicians or, or professional athletes, but I, I appreciate any public figure who has a genuine walk with the Lord, a, a microphone gets put in front of their mouth, or a, they have a stage of some kind. I appreciate the people who are genuinely Christian who give credit to God or, or to say things like, you know, God bless this or whatever else it may be. But I have to wonder sometimes if, if politicians end speeches with God bless America, not because they are especially praying that God would bless America, but because some pollster has told them, hey, the people that you want to vote for you, they like this phrase, and so if you include this in your speech, that you'll, you know, they'll, they'll vote for you. And I'm not saying that to point fingers at them as much to say that same temptation is in us. Absolutely, we want God to bless America and your family and every other nation. We want God to bless us. Absolutely. Don't hear me say that. But we can say 
God's name. We can use God language to advance our own agenda. And who uses God's name publicly more than pastors? We can say, oh, God's leading me to do this, or God's leading me to do that. We can so describe something that really is it's about me than not about actually seeking God's will. I want to be really careful. We want to be really careful anytime we're using God's name, describing God, because I want to honor His name. I don't want to use Him to accomplish my own goals. I was on the phone with a pastor Friday. We met a few weeks ago, and he, he, he had wanted to meet up, and we hadn't had a chance, but we were talking on the phone, and he was telling me about this that he's been praying over, and he used a phrase, that, and I had this sermon in my mind when he said, and I thought it was just perfect. He said, um, uh, he said, this seems like it's of the Lord. I like that. This seems like it's of the Lord. He wasn't saying, I, I have this directly from God. Because you know what, God, God, if he hasn't revealed it written down in Scripture, it's hard to say for sure. Whether it, it seems like it's from the Lord, then we say, great. I'm going to trust the Lord that it seems like it's from Him, and I'm going to follow Him. The danger of saying, I know this is from the Lord when it's not written down, is if what if you get down the road and it doesn't turn out the way you think it is? Did God change? No. No, God didn't change. He said, if the Lord wills, I'll go here or there, James tells us, right? It it seems like it's of the Lord. It's a way of saying, okay, God, I, I think you're leading me this way, and I'm going to follow this way until you close the door. If you close the door, then apparently that wasn't your will. I want to honor your name. I don't want to drag God's name God's plans into my agenda. We want to treat God's name with respect, with reverence, with awe, that His will is His will. His name is His name. And He has revealed Himself, and I'm going to follow Him to the degree that I know what He's asking us to do. God saved us. He invites us into a relationship with Him. Not with any other God, but to worship Him and know Him as He has made Himself known in His Word. And so He calls us to use, his, use our words to honor Him. And as we consider that, surely we have to recognize all of us have broke this commandment. I'm going to go ahead and give you a clue. But get to all ten of them. We've broken all ten of them. But let's just stay on this one for now. We've all broken this one. We've all misused God's name. We've all, whether it just be a simple curse word or, or something else, or broken a promise, we, we have broken this commandment. And God emphasizes how important this commandment is when He finishes by saying, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. What are we going to do with that? God will not hold him guiltless. We are all guilty. None of us is guiltless. We are all guilty of not using God's name, treating God's name with respect and awe. We deserve punishment. And the good news of the gospel is that the same God who spoke this name also told us this. Romans 10, 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You and I deserve guilt. We deserve punishment. And yet God has given us a way to be saved through His Son, Jesus. When we get to the New Testament, another name is given to us. God's name is God. God's name is Yahweh, which is I am. And God's name is also Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God revealed to us. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The first couple generations of Christians, uh, when they were the first you know, disciples, when they were uh, in Acts and they're kind of first following and, and understanding who Jesus was, people had a hard time. They didn't really nail down a name for that group yet. So early on in the book of Acts, uh, uh, Saul is persecuting people who are followers of the way. That's how they're described. That's probably a reference to the way Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So they're, they're followers of the way. 
But when you get to Acts chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas are ministering in a city called Antioch, and they're preaching and teaching. And we read in Acts 11.26, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It's the first time we see the word Christians show up. The ones who are, they were so associated with Christ that he, they give them the name Christians. So let me tell you one more way to obey the third commandment. We obey God's name. We, we honor God's name in the way that we use his name. But we also honor God's name in the way we bear his name. Bear Christ's name with honor. If you believe in Christ, you don't just speak God's name when you pray or when you talk of him. But you personally carry Christ's name. Your whole life is a display of Christ to others. Not that you are Christ, of course, but that we represent Him wherever we go. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That is profoundly humbling to me, that we carry the name of Christ, we bear it on our shoulders, and we represent Him to the world. By, by God's grace, we display His name, not because we're good, but because He's good, and our whole lives are meant to point to Him. And we do so knowing that one day this name, not, not perfectly on this earth, but one day this name will be honored. Philippians 2 tells us that God the Father has given Jesus the name that is above every name, so that, by that, so that the name of Jesus, at, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' name will be exalted. It will be praised. So we can live in hope. We can display His name to others. We can share His name with others knowing that it will be fulfilled. It will be accomplished ultimately one day. As we use God's name, as you think of His character, as you consider who He is, think, think of how we're doing it. Treat His name with respect and with awe. And don't just do that verbally. Do it with your life because we bear His name as Christians. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the chance to see your grace in your word. Lord, we acknowledge there are so many ways we fall short of obeying you, of seeking your will and seeking what you intend for us to do as we live. But Lord, we thank you that you continue to show us grace. You continue to show us who you are in your word. God, I thank you that we have had the chance now, even now, to, to, to speak your name. God, we pray that we would do so with reverence, with awe, with, with adoration, with affection. And most of all, with, with majesty, exalting you, praising you for who you are. Fill us this week, even God, with a, a, a clearer picture of who you are so we can speak your name rightly and for the sake of your glory. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.